the beginning of knowledge, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Caleb, thank you very much for reading that, and welcome everyone on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, if uh, if you haven't like made a plan for tomorrow, um, I would just encourage you, just even set an alarm, put a sticky note on your mirror, or do something to remind you, just to take even just one minute to just pray, to thank God for the country that we live in, for the men and women who have given their lives so that we could live in this nation, and for the families who are grieving. Uh, many people use this as a, a great you know, opportunity to go camping or to go grill out. I mean, we're going to be grilling out tomorrow night, and it's, it's a great day to do such, but just be sure to take a moment to remember those who have fallen, uh, because even though right now it seems like we're in a very divided nation, um, we still live in a great country, and we need to take a moment and thank God, because right now as we gather, and there are churches all around this nation that are gathering, we do not live in fear that there's going to be you know, police busting in here to haul us all away for doing what we're doing and believing what we believe. That is such a privilege. Too often we're just way too casual about it. And so tomorrow, just take a moment and thank God for it. Just take that moment and, and pray for those who are, who are mourning the loss of their loved ones and thank God for the nation that he has put us in, even though we are very divided right now. Uh, we are starting a new uh, series in the book of Proverbs, so if you brought a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open up to Proverbs. Caleb read to us the first seven verses of chapter one, but we're actually going to be in uh, chapter two today, so you can head over to Proverbs chapter two. As you're turning to Proverbs two, uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We're going to put it on the uh, screen for you uh, so you can study right along with us. Um, but as you turn into Proverbs, um, I want to tell you about Hurricane Michael. Uh, Hurricane Michael hit the uh, panhandle of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico in the fall of 2018. It was the third largest hurricane to have ever happened in the Gulf. I mean, it, it like shattered the Category 5 category. I mean, this thing was just uh, uh, unbelievable. It particularly hit one area, a small kind of resort town called Mexico Beach. And the people had to flee from Mexico Beach. And so as they began to come back, they were not only stunned by the devastation that they saw, but they were also stunned that one house still stood. This house here is known as the Sand Palace. And as you look, you see everything around it is pretty much decimated. A few places are still standing, but you can see their siding's torn off, the roofs are torn apart, yet this house seems to be unscathed. This house was built just one year prior, and it was built to be a vacation rental home. You could rent it out for a week. And when they built it, the, the builders decided that they didn't want to just meet code. They wanted to absolutely exceed it. For instance, most homes down there had to be rated to withstand winds of 125 miles per hour. These builders wanted to build a house that would withstand 250 mile per hour winds. But that meant they had to make some adjustments. 
For instance, instead of just typical drywall and wood walls, their walls are made with reinforced concrete. Uh, the, the eaves, the, the parts of the roof that hang over, they're shorter than other homes because it's less area for the wind to catch. Uh, they, they have these uh, pillars that go down into the ground, and, and they go 40 feet into the ground. I don't know what typical is, but it was extra long. And not only that, they had these steel cables underneath the siding and stuff to, to basically strap it down to the ground. Uh, they did all these things, and it worked. I mean, within just a, a week or two, this place was ready to go. Now, it didn't come out completely unscathed. The storm surge took out the ground floor uh, stairs that were there. There's nothing on the, the ground level. It's just open. So when that storm surge came through, it blew the stairs away. Uh, that also, the, the uh, like, utilities had to be uh, reinstalled, you know, like your electricity, your phone, your internet. But the house itself, rock solid. Now, I believe you and I live in a day and an age where our culture, our world, our society is like a hurricane. And it is trying to topple you and destroy you. But rather than just come right at you and come directly into your face, our, our culture does their hurricane a little differently. It tries to woo you. It tries to call you in and get you to cut corners to wreck your life. Let, let, let me give you an example. Uh, the sports world was rocked in the late 90s and early 2000s in baseball when it found out that a number of baseball players were using steroids in order to get bigger muscles so that they were stronger, they were faster, because that meant that they would then win or they would have better stats. I mean, better stats meant more money, more wins meant more happiness. And so, it, no surprise, I bet, but most athletes are very, very competitive. And so in their desire to win, they cheated. There was something around them, these winds of culture, that were pulling them in, saying, you want more money? You want to be happier? Take this. Do this. Cut these corners, and all of that can be yours. And sure enough, some guys got big contracts. Some went on to win the World Series. Some of them set all sorts of records. However, as the whole entire thing began to tumble out years later, Men that would have gone into the Hall of Fame now have an infamous name. Uh, men that, that were, you know, one time very well respected, now their names are being dragged through the mud. Some of them have gone on to actually have health conditions because of the things that they put into their bodies earlier to get that edge. In the short term, it gave them something great. It wooed them in. But by giving in, it's actually made things worse in the long term, their lives have been toppled over and blown apart. But it isn't just baseball. Just pick a sport. You're going to find people who've cheated. You know, cycling, Lance Armstrong, seven-time winner of the, the Tour de France. He used drugs, cheated, performance-enhancing drugs. Go to swimming. Now, yep, there's issues there. Go to I mean, just pick a sport, and someone has tried to cheat to get ahead. Because our world tells us happiness is found when you win. But it isn't just sports. I suspect kids that you have this tension at school. Like there's this desire to get ahead. So some kids, they'll try to cheat on a test in order to get the better grade so they'll be a little happier and make mom and dad proud. Moms and dads, I think some of you probably can sense and feel pressure at work to perform certain ways, to do certain things. 
Our, our media tries to tell us, hey, you want pleasure? You want goodness? You got to do this and this and this. Yeah, you're going to take some shortcuts to get there, but it's worth it. The problem is you give in, you take the shortcut, you just kind of meet code, and the hurricane of culture will blow you over and rip you apart. And so what we need is protection. We need something that's going to strap us down, something that goes deep into the ground, something that will keep us anchored. That is why God wrote the Proverbs. He embedded these timeless truths to help bring protection, protection to our lives, protection to our hearts, protection to our minds. Now, just like that house on, on the, the beach, it cost double for them to build. And so when you read the truths in the Proverbs, you realize it's going to cost you something. Because your world is always trying to get you to take the shortcut. For you to say no, it's going to cost you. So people are going to look at you a little weird. It's going to maybe cost you more money because you don't take that financial shortcut. But in the long run, the long term, it's going to be worth it. So that's why we're going to take five weeks to just look at this book. We're just going to kind of do a quick overview of it. And we're going to see over the next, today and the next four weeks how God uses the Proverbs to protect our hearts, protect our mind, protect our lives by protecting us from greed, protecting us from lust, and protecting us from pride. So chapter 2 kind of opens this all up for us. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down. We're going to see how we're protected by wisdom and then see three things that uh, the Proverbs protect us from. So as we get ready to dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for the book of Proverbs. I thank you for uh, the truths that are here in this book. And I pray that, that as we take just a few weeks to look at it, as we take a break from the book of Mark and dive here into this Old Testament book of wisdom, that you would allow us to see the wisdom that you put in here. That these things that were written for an ancient people still resonate to us today. And so, Father, open our hearts, open our minds. No matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, no matter what has been happening this past week or this past month, no matter what we're thinking about and worried about for today or this next week or month, that right now you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say so that we might become the people you call us to be. Because, God, we live in a world that wants to rip us apart. So, God, help us to hear these truths that can protect us and set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you've got your Bible open there, you notice the very first words there of chapter 2. Uh, it says, my son. If you were listening when Caleb read from chapter 1, you saw that this book is written by Solomon. And Solomon identifies himself as the son of David. But he's not writing this out of his fame as the son of David. He's writing some of this to help his own son. Yeah, there, there's something inside of us parents that wants to protect our children, that wants to help them. When my oldest daughter headed off to college, I couldn't help myself. I wanted to help her, and so I wrote her a book. Now, before you're impressed, the book was really, really small. It's basically a glorified pamphlet, uh, all right? And, and two, I didn't hear too much feedback from it, like, Dad, that was really great, all right? So it, it, it may not have been that awesome, but there was just something in me that, like, okay, I'm sending my kid off to college. I, I want to, like, help her and guide her and protect her. And I thought if I could just give her some words that she could go back and read and be reminded, maybe that would somehow help. That's what's going on here. Solomon wants to protect his son. He knows that this world wants to chew his son up and spit him out to just be that hurricane that destroys him. So he writes these words to help him. But something that stands out to me about the way Solomon does it 
Most of us parents, when we try to help our kids, we start with the word don't. Like, don't play in the street. Don't tell lies. Don't wrestle with a tiger. You know, like the, the typical things that, we, you know, we need to teach our children. But we start with don't. But that's not what Solomon does. He starts with do. And what is it that he wants his son to do? It's get wisdom. Let's look at the first nine verses. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Next week, we're going to dive into this whole idea of wisdom. So we're just going to spend a moment here, but notice what he says. He says that when you seek after wisdom, when you seek it like silver, what you end up doing is you find God. You find the Lord. And, and it says there in verse 7 that the Lord then becomes like a shield. So if you seek after wisdom, it serves as a shield. And I believe here in chapter 2, he says that there are three areas that, it, that wisdom shields us, that protects us. Wisdom protects us from a ruined life, ruined relationships, and a ruined reputation. So let's take these one at a time. Let's look first at a ruined life. Um, jump down to verse 10. The, uh, Solomon continues this thought on wisdom. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. And now listen to what it does. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Solomon was the wisest man to have ever lived to that point in history. I, I can't say that he's the wisest to have ever lived because a guy named Jesus came along. But, but Solomon was really, really wise. And out of his wisdom, as he's trying to help his son, he says, son, you've got to get some wisdom. Because if you don't have that wisdom, you're now prone to fall in and just do whatever someone tells you to do. You'll, you'll make that mistake. It, kids, listen up. There are people in this world who they're going to act like they're good, but they're actually trying to get you to do something bad. Let me give you an example. You may go to school and have a friend who says, have you heard about this new video game? It is the coolest. Yeah, you can get it on your phone. You can get it on PlayStation. You can play it on the computer, on the web. Like, it is awesome. It's so much fun. And so you go home and you say, hey, mom, dad, I heard about this new game. Can I get it? So your mom and your dad begin to look into this game, and they suddenly decide, you know what? I don't think it's the right thing. Maybe it's because it just costs a little too much money. Maybe it's because, you know, like there's some things in it that, uh, they're not the best. Maybe the game's a little violent. 
Maybe to, to win in the game, you have to cheat, and your mom and dad don't want you to, to learn those things. So for whatever reason, your mom and dad say, no, we're not going to do it. But you go back to school, you tell your friend, yeah, mom and dad won't let me get it. Oh, you're missing out. It's the best. Hey, tell you what, I've got a code for a free version you can download and use it and sneak it behind their backs. It's so much fun. It's worth it. You see, they're trying to tell you, I want you to have fun. I want you to be happy. They try to get this to you. But to get it, it means you've got to take some shortcuts. You've got to lie to your parents. You've got to cheat to do these different things. They're trying to tell you this is good, but it's actually leading you to something bad. I have a friend who um, I had the joy of seeing, uh, getting to know her when she came to Christ. But um, before I knew her, she had uh, been uh, divorced, got married really young, had a kid, got uh, married, and then her husband left her for another woman. So suddenly she finds herself as a single mom. So she ends up moving in with her mom and dad, gets a job, trying to just care for her and her, her son. Her, her ex-husband wanted nothing to do with, with their, their child. And so she's trying to, in a sense, raise her son on her own. Her, her mom and stepdad are kind of there helping out. And a bunch of her coworkers just see her life and realize, man, that's miserable. And so they want to help her. They want her to be happy. And so what they do, their plan to help her be happy is to take her out one night. And during the evening, they tell her, we think what you need to get over this divorce is another guy. And so actually one of the friends drove her over to some guy's house. And I'll spare the details, but basically it led to another child, another failed marriage, and a ton more pain. We live in a world that tries to say, you want pleasure? You want happiness? You want peace? Come on, it's found over here. This is good. Do this. But you take these shortcuts, and the winds will knock you down. Solomon's trying to protect his son. Doesn't want to see his son fall for it. Doesn't want him to listen to that perverted speech. He wants his son to have this discernment. Kids, discernment means to kind of know whether something is right or wrong. When you're introduced to something new, when you have discernment, you can kind of go, yeah, I don't think that's going to be good for me. But that discernment comes from wisdom. So we got to get wisdom so it will protect us from a ruined life. The second thing Solomon says is that wisdom will also protect us from a ruined relationship. Look at verse uh, 16 through 19 with me. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Um, if, if you are married, uh, or, or maybe at one time in your life you were married, there was probably a moment where the person that you end up marrying was just really, really attractive to you. Like may, maybe it was like love at first sight, or maybe it, it took a while, but there came a point where you realized, I really like that person, and it was more than just, I kind of like hanging out with them. Like there was this, this deep draw to them. That is not what Solomon's talking about here. Solomon is talking about a woman who is already married. Look at verse 17. He says that she forsakes the companion of her youth. This is his poetical way of saying she's leaving her husband. Now, she's not getting divorced from him. She's still married to him. It's just she's wanting to kind of go and pretend with Solomon's uh, son that they're married just for a little short time. 
And in fact, she is forgetting the covenant of her God. Kids, when a mom and a dad decide they, they want to get married, they stand before uh, usually witnesses and before a pastor, but the idea is that they stand before God. And they exchange these vows, and it tells us in Genesis 2.24 that the two become one. They join their life together. They enter into a covenant. And yet Solomon is warning his son that there's going to be some people out there who would ignore those covenants, saying, oh, but this will feel good. This will be great. We just got to cut these things off, and we can have this. You do that, you're going to end up ruining some relationships. I know some people who've lost marriages because they gave in to this temptation. I know people who've lost jobs. I know people who have lost respect. And, and here's the additional thing for us. Back in Solomon's day, this sort of thing only happened out in the physical realm. We live in a digital world. Yes, these things can happen at work, at school, out in the community. But sometimes it also happens in the privacy of our home with a computer, with a phone, with a book, with a movie. Our world is always trying to entice us. This is good. It's wonderful. If it feels good, how can it be wrong? And yet so many people have given in to the temptation and discovered, yeah, it was wrong. I just lost something important. So Solomon tried to protect his son saying, hey, you're going to ruin some relationships if you give in to that. Don't do it. Then he goes on to a third area. He says, you also need to be, wisdom will also protect you from a ruined reputation. Look at verse 20. And so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. So often when we uh, give advice to people, we often start with the bad. We'll, we'll tell them, hey, if you make this decision, that's a bad decision. You're going to face these bad consequences. So we warn them, don't do it. Now, it's out of a good place. We're trying to protect them, but we start with the bad. But notice what Solomon did here. He didn't start with the bad. He ended with the bad. Yeah, he acknowledges a bad decision. You end up with the wicked, and you're cut off from the land. But before that, he says, notice in verse 21, that the upright will inhabit the land. Now, you and I, that may be like, okay, no big deal. Back in his day and age, the land was very important. You've got to remember, when the Israelites, the Jewish people, were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, along comes a guy named Moses that God sends to bring them out and God leads them eventually to the promised land. The idea of crossing over the Jordan River into this land that God promised them would be a place of peace and prosperity. It was supposed to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, as the Veggie Tales people say, it sounds sticky, but to them, this meant it's going to have provision. We're not going to have to be building bricks. We're not going to have to be slaves. We're not going to have to do all these things. We will be our own people. So to inhabit the land was Solomon's poetic way of saying to his son, you really want peace? Don't buy the lies of the wicked. You fall in with the wicked. You do the evil thing. You do that which is not good. You're going to be cut off from the land. If you're familiar with Jewish history, you'll know that there was at least twice where the Jewish people 
ended up being carted out of Israel, the promised land, and went off into exile. You see, the people had not been holding to God. They began to worship other gods. They began to not love and respect their neighbors. They began to do all these things, and God sent prophets to warn them. And he kept saying to them, if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent, I'm going to take you out of the land. And sure enough, armies came and invaded and took the people out and then went right back into slavery, right back into exile, right back into a lack of peace. So Solomon's saying, you want peace in life? Then live an upright life. Live in the way of those who do good. Don't take the shortcuts. Don't cut the corners. You do what you know is the right thing to do. And when you do, that wisdom will protect you. It'll be those moors that go deep into the ground, the anchors that will hold you firm. So when those winds blow, you stand firm. So Solomon says, son, get wisdom. Because that wisdom will protect you from a ruined life, ruined relationships, and a ruined reputation. But now let's be honest. None of us have done that 100%. Not a single one of us. So it means two things. First, Solomon is talking big picture. All right, so if, if you have royally screwed up, you can look back and say, yeah, I, I gave in to those things. It does not mean that that one mistake has to be the, your identity for the rest of your life. But it also shows something else. It indicates that we need Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote something. That just when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're just kind of going through and it just sounds, I don't know, Bible-ish. You're just reading along. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Um, okay, yeah, that sounds very Paul-like. And so you just keep right on reading. But now I want you to look at that verse in light of what we just heard in Proverbs. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. And because of him, the him here refers to God. He's been talking about all that God has done for us. So because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That is a biblical way to say that your identity is tied with Christ. Jesus went to a cross to die for our sins. And when we receive that truth, our sins are forgiven, they're washed away, and we are now in. We are tied with Jesus. Our identity is in him. Now notice what Paul says about Christ. Who became to us wisdom from God. Another way that could be translated is that who became for us wisdom from God. What did Solomon just tell us about wisdom? That it's like a shield. That it protects. And now suddenly when you realize that in the gospel, Jesus is your wisdom, guess what's going to help you navigate through the winds of the culture? Christ. God has set the gospel up to protect you. And notice, as it protects you, what does it do? It provides you with righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's all the work of God. I don't want you walking out of here thinking, oh man, I got to go back to work. In my workplace, they're always trying to get me to do this and this and this, and I'm so tired. Yeah, your willpower only lasts so long. 
Guess where your protection is going to come from? Christ. Now you can walk into the workplace. Heavenly Father, protect me. Jesus, you are my umbrella. You are my shield. You are the steel cables that wrap around me and hold me firm. Help me to live in your strength because I am in Christ Jesus. Some of you, you're going to find yourself at a place where you're alone. And suddenly the temptation to whip out your phone, to get on the computer, to make a little phone call. It's going to say, hey, come on. This is where pleasure's found. Part of you is going to be going, no, I don't want to give in to this. Your protection is Jesus. You run to the gospel. You let him cover you because he's your sanctification. Some of you, you may look at your life and go, man, I've messed up. I, I, I've ruined my reputation. Notice the last word there. There's redemption. There's change. There's healing. That mistake does not have to identify you. You can come to Christ, and as that wisdom, he not only can protect you from the future, he can even protect you from your past. And so, you want wisdom? You run to Christ. It's found in the gospel. Your protection is found through the brutal murder of Jesus. But as you come to that cross, as you bow down from him, before him, he then covers you. And he becomes your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption. And so, when the world tries to tempt you to be unethical, and to ruin your life, turn to Christ, because he is your righteousness. When the world tries to lure you in and get you to fall to lust, turn to Christ, for he is your sanctification. And the word of the world tries to wreck your reputation, turn to Christ, for he is your redemption. Christ is our wisdom. He, in a sense, then, is our proverb. So, Heavenly Father, we pray that the truth of who Jesus is would be the mark of who we are. That we would be the type of people that would completely surrender to you and let the truth of Jesus be what drives us and motivates us, but also be what protects us. Heavenly Father, some of us here, we are wrestling with sin. We are giving in way too often. Whether it's in, in privacy or it's happening with a, a different group of people, we keep falling into this. We need strength. We need help. So God, help us to turn to you, to realize that if our life is in Christ, if we are a Jesus follower, then we're safe. We're good. We're fine. We're protected. God, some of us here, we, we need to have the anchors of our lives dug deeper into you. We're, we're too shallow right now. And so, God, would you do what you need to do deep within us so that we can withstand these winds? God, some, someone here, whether in person or, or listening online, they may not even know you. They may not have surrendered their life to you. They are crashing about like a ship on the sea, and they need something to hold them still and to anchor them. Father, I pray right now they would confess their sin to you and acknowledge that you, Jesus, died on a cross for the forgiveness of their sin. And as they acknowledge you, you bring them in, and they become in Christ Jesus. 
and he begins to become their wisdom, that you, God, would begin to give them discernment, that they would begin to know between the difference between right and wrong, and they would no longer listen to the voices of the world that tries to entice them to walk away from you. Rather, they would hear your voice saying, I love you, I'm protecting you, I've got you. So God, help us to live under your umbrella. Help us to allow your truth to be our shield. Help us, Father, to stand firm in you. God, we cannot go and fight this fight on our own. We thank you that you are with us. You are for us. And if you are for us, nothing can stand against us. God, as we come to you, help us to come knowing that it is in you we find our joy, we find our peace, we experience true love, we, we are awash in your kindness, we can sense your gentleness, we see just how faithful you are. And as we seek you and hold on to you, you help us then live those self-controlled, anchored lives. So God, please do in us what you need to do for your glory for our joy and peace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I can't think of a better way for us to go to the cross than to go to communion. So if you're online and, and you have elements there, pull those out. But what I want you to know is we're going to take this together as one body. As the ushers pass them, would you just hold on to that? Because what we also need to remind ourselves is that in this battle, as this as these winds are buffeting against us, trying to knock us down. Not only are we not alone because God's spirit is with us, we need the reminder that we are not alone in this fight. You have a church family. We love you. If you're wrestling with something, don't go it alone. These winds would love nothing more than to destroy you. Let us be part of your anchor. Let us remind you of the gospel. Yeah, it, it, it will be hard. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to open up. Someone's going to see your junk. It's going to be a tough moment. But don't take the shortcut of ignoring it and risk the long-term pain.